0: Good morning, and thank you for joining me uh, here at Highland Crest. I I realize this is a little unusual for us, uh, but nonetheless, it's still an honor to be able to open up the Word of God, to be able to read it, and to share it. So we're just going to pick up where we left off the last time I was with the church family. Uh, We're going to turn to Acts chapter 8. I've been working through a series, a verse-by-verse series, through the book of Acts And we're just going to resume here in Acts chapter 8. While you're turning there, uh, let me just give her a a few different announcements. Uh, Some of you have asked about offerings. Uh, How can I give my offering if I'm not actually attending the church? Well, uh, naturally, you can send the offering by mail. Uh, You can go on our church website and and use the, the credit card feature as well. This message is going to be offered in a couple of different formats, one on Facebook, two on YouTube, and then we're going to also try to capture the audio and put it on our webpage as well. This is providing an opportunity for us to enhance our streaming equipment. This is something we've always talked about doing, but if this experience here of the coronavirus is is extended, well, it would make sense for us to to have the equipment to go live and to provide a a better quality uh, of equipment. So we're looking into that right now. In addition to that, it's been kind of hard not to get together for Bible study or or various meetings that we were not able to get together in recent days. So over the next couple of days, we're going to be looking at various video platforms where we can still meet together, but by using our computers or our mobile devices to do that. And then just a couple of other things. Um, as I've kind of got back here from our mission trip just a few days ago, I've attempted to reach out to many of our people, including our deacons, just to, to find out how the church family is going. And it has occurred to me that there are a variety of concerns that could surface over these days. One, we want to do a very good job of taking care of our church members. So if you have a need, a logistical need, of an errand that needs to be run, or groceries that need to be gathered, uh, please let first your deacon know. Or maybe a member within your Bible study know. And you can certainly call the church office and we would be happy to assist you in this time. This is an unusual time, but it also provides an opportunity for us to be able to minister to one another. Well, let's look at our passage this morning. I'm in Acts chapter 8. If you were with us two weeks ago, the last time I brought the word, you remember Stephen. Stephen is the first Christian that was killed for his faith. As we look here at our passage, we're going to get a sense of the context So I'm now in Acts chapter 8, and allow me to read the first three verses. And Saul approved of his execution, speaking of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the Apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. And verse 3 says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Well, I hope that when you are watching this, you'll also see a link that you can download and outline with some discussion questions. So in your outline, the first words that you see there is our context. The context is the church is experiencing some persecution. This is what we see in the first three verses of Acts chapter 8. There is a new normal within this church. They are now facing opposition at a very strong level. This man named Saul, as it says here, is ravaging the church in verse 3. The word ravaging can also be used of a wild animal that is m- maligning and chewing on, and mangling a- another animal. It's a ferocious use of words. And this is what Saul is doing to the early Christians. The book of Acts actually tells the history of how the church was birthed. And the last several chapters have talked about how the church is growing. And so now we see, as a result of this growing, there is persecution that is now facing the church. Point number one in our message today is that God uses ordinary people living ordinary lives to do extraordinary work. Let's read about a man named Philip. Look with me at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now who is this Philip? Well, Philip is not an apostle. He is one that we see in Acts chapter 6. You might remember in Acts chapter 6, the church is growing. And the apostles, these disciples of Jesus, need to be about preaching the word and praying. But because the church is growing so rapidly, they are unable to care for all the members of the church. So the congregation chooses seven different men, Qualified men that can help serve as leaders to help carry out the administrative needs within the church. If you look here in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good report, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. So of the seven men that they chose, the first was Stephen. And we talked about him in Acts chapter 7. And now we're learning about Philip here in Acts chapter 8. It is said of Philip in Acts 21 verse 8 that he was an evangelist. Now, what is an evangelist? Uh, that, is that the guy in the polyester suit with the, with the comb over, with a thick southern accent that preaches from one church to next? No. An evangelist is one that is gifted by the Holy Spirit to be able to share the good news of forgiveness of sins through Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. Philip had a knack for doing this. It says here that he went down to the city of Samaria. Now, what is Samaria? If you know the history of the Old Testament, you know that around 722, 723 BC, the nation of Israel was deported by the Assyrians. And this Assyrian, this pagan empire, gathered the Jews from Israel. They dragged them out to their own land. And there, many of them, Intermarried with the Assyrians. So they were half Jew and half Assyrian, and they became what is called Samaritans. Well, the pure Jews looked down at the half Jews, the Samaritans. So as a result, there has always been this rivalry. Well, Philip, we find out from Acts chapter 6, was a Hellenist Jew. That was, he was a Greek speaking Jew. We might say it this way. He was an outsider, and God sent him to some other outsiders. And so here he is in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. Like like seed that is blown by the wind, Philip is going out, and he is going to sow this gospel seed. Look with me at verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Philip went into a city, the city of Samaria. It would seem as if this could have been the capital of this area. And the people were responsive to the good news that he presented. Not only this, but wonderful works were being done. There's unclean spirits. There is a crying out with a loud voice that they would be cleansed of these unclean spirits. There is also people that are paralyzed or lame that are healed. And this is all accompanied by the good news that sins can be forgiven through what Jesus did on the cross for them. What would it be like To be able to go into a town that is so responsive, so willing to hear the gospel. Well, church family, you know that just less than two weeks ago, Jim Van Geem and I got to board a plane here in Green Bay and we we flew out to the western part of Africa to the nation of Senegal. And while we landed in the capital city of Dakar, we would eventually take another plane some 40 minutes from Dakar in an airplane down to a city called Ziggishaw. And there we got into a vehicle and and drove close to the Atlantic Ocean of about an hour, an hour and a half truck ride. And there we parked the truck in a coastal town and then we got into a boat. And we went about a 45-minute boat ride where there are a bunch of series of islands there at the mouth of a river that flows into the Atlantic Ocean. One of those islands that we attended, Jim and I, was one called Neomoon. And as we walked onto this island, an island comprised of farmers and fishermen. And if you know Jim, you know that he's a retired farmer. And if you know me, you know that I love to fish. And as we walked up into the first village there of this island, we were greeted by the chief. Now oftentimes when we've gone to Africa, we have met the chief, and he is advanced in age. He might be in his 70s. But this particular chief, Chief Boniface, was actually around my age. And our missionary, whose name was Moses, had already shared the gospel with this chief, and he had received it. And so we had a believer that was the chief. And so we greeted him, we met his family, and we began to eat lunch with him. Well, when that lunch was taken away, it became an opportunity for me to be able to share the gospel with the people who were in the home at that time. What was wonderful is people were passing by, the chief would say, hey, you need to come in here. You need to hear this message that they are sharing. So with the translator, I just laid out the Bible story of how God loves people and he has sent Jesus to die for their sins. And the people were responsive. And in that time, there was about eight or nine people that prayed to receive eternal life prayed to receive christ and at that moment we got up and we walked another three quarters of a mile to another i'll call it a neighborhood kind of like a village and as we walked into the second area as we were walking in the people lit up as they saw missionary moses returning and through the translator we could understand what they were saying they were saying stuff like this we have been waiting for you you told us that you would come and you would tell us more about Jesus. You said that you would show us the Jesus film. We have been waiting for this film. We have been waiting for you to teach us more about Jesus. Where have you been? And so once again, we, we sat down in a big circle where there were men and there were women of a variety of different ages. And it was there. Or your Jim, Jim Van Geem got a chance to share the gospel message with all these people. And another eight or nine trusted Christ. Now we were with not only Moses, a missionary, but another missionary whose name was Prosper. And Prosper would take down everyone's name and he would write down their number. He had a log of all those who trusted Christ. And then Moses had what's called an SD card. A little card that you could slip into your cell phone. And on that card would be discipling materials. There would be the Jesus movie right there on that SD card. And people who just trusted Christ would be able to get resources on how they could be discipled in that. Like Philip, going into the city in Samaria and found that people were so receptive. Well, here on this island of New Moon, Jim and I had a similar experience. And missionary Moses has shared with us, not only on this island, but another island that we went to the next day, how God is at work. And you know what would happen? There were times when they would come in and share the gospel, that there were people that were sick. And because they knew these missionaries were men of faith, they would say, would you pray for this illness of mine? And they would pray. And God, many times, would bring healing to them, as if to authenticate this gospel message that they were presenting. Now, that wasn't in all the cases, but it was in some cases, and it only seemed to reinforce that what these men were sharing was true. In fact, now this might stretch you a little bit. A few weeks ago, Moses was on another island, And while he was there, there was a woman, oh, late teens or early 20s, that was just out of control. She was screaming and she was yelling. And because these islands are made up of pagan worshipers, that they literally follow demons and the devil, it was believed that this woman was was demon-possessed. And so Moses and another man just prayed over her, prayed that she would be released from this. It wasn't long after that that the father made a phone call and says, I have a new daughter. She is different. And in the video that I'll, I'll show you sometime after the sermon, you're going to see this woman. And she's reading, or she's actually watching like an iPad, or she's watching the Jesus film as a new believer. Now she is taking in the truths of who Jesus is. The experience that Philip had, Jim and I, actually had that last week. What a joy it was to be a part of that. And thank you for being a part of that by praying for us. So let me give you the second point here in this message. And the second point is this. Not everyone who prays to receive Christ is an authentic follower of Christ. What we're going to see in this passage here in Acts chapter 8, while many of the people of that city prayed to receive Christ, Not all of them followed. And I think it's probably accurate to say, hey, we saw 19 people pray to receive Christ there on Niamun Island. But it's probably realistic to say that not all of them are actually going to follow through with their faith. Well, let's look at this next part in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying, He himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So here you have Simon. May we call him a first century Houdini. He was one who had a sleight of hands. He was an illusionist. And people came to him in droves. They appreciated his magic. And and they actually called him great. And there is no reference here of, of Simon saying, oh, don't call me great. He enjoyed the praise that he received. Listen to what it also says here, verse 12. But when... They believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Look at verse 13. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So not only did you have all these other people who believed that Jesus died for them, but it would seem to suggest here you had Simon, the the, magi- the magician. He too was like that. But as we read further in our passage, we see that Simon was not a, really a follower of Jesus. When it says he believed here, his faith was not sincere. Let's skip down a little bit further here in our passage. It says Verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. We're going to find out here in a little bit that some of the apostles, Peter and John, come down from Jerusalem and lay hands and pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon these Christians. And the Spirit does. And Simon says, how can I get that? I... I want that. And he actually offers money for that. You see, Simon was drawn to what Jesus could do for him, not what he could do for Jesus. This isn't the only place we see something like this in the Scriptures. You remember in John chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, it says, Now while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. Simon, he thought he could expand his magic show. So, how about... I I keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to continue to be the person I am, and I'm just going to add Jesus to my life. And friends, that is not at all how it works. While we were in Senegal, we saw this as well. We saw Muslims. We we didn't spend all of our time there on the islands. We came back to the mainland and through many of opportunities, we had an we had a chance to share the gospel with Muslims. And as we would share the message of Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice, it was not unusual for a Muslim man to say, I agree with you. But he was saying, in effect, I'm going to add Jesus to my Muslim faith. And we would try to convince them, no, you need to renounce Islam. You need to renounce your pagan practices to follow Jesus. While on one of these islands, we were talking with a man that was a mason. And he was, he was working at digging out and he was going to build a wall and extending this house. And while some of the men, Moses and another missionary, shared the gospel with him, as it came to a point of, will you be a follower of Jesus? The man said, listen, I am a pagan. I am a follower of the spirits. And if I follow Jesus... I, I will not, not offer sacrifices anymore to the spirits. And I'm afraid of what the spirits will do to me and to my family. And Moses, the missionary, said, that's right. You need to choose. You need to follow Jesus entirely. You know, you and I here in America, we may not struggle with, I'm going to mix Jesus with Islam or mix Jesus with a pagan practice. But we can still just say, I'm going to mix Jesus with my materialism. I'm going to mix Jesus with my sensual lifestyle. I'm going to mix Jesus with my anxiety and my fear or my secular mindset. We can say, I want to add Jesus to my life, but I don't want him to change who I am. Friend, that is not the gospel. In fact, let's read what these apostles said to Simon. As we read here a little bit further, it says in verse 21. Rather, look with me at verse 20. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God and money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Verse 22, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. The gall of bitterness. This concept of you are under the control here. You are wretched. The bond of iniquity speaks of being a prisoner of sin. Simon, you need to repent is what he is saying here. Jesus said this. If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 9.23 Look with me at the third point of our message today. That is this. The church has one gospel that is available for all the people. Now, we're going to read about the apostles. Peter and John coming down to Samaria. So let's look at verse 14 here. Verse 14 says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen on any of them, but had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now this is a unique passage. Because as we read throughout the New Testament, we see this pattern. We see one who hears the word of God. They hear about their sin. They realize that they are under the judgment of God. And that Jesus has come to die in their place. And they must believe in this. And they must repent of their sins. So they hear. They believe in the gospel. And three, they receive the Holy Spirit. And then... They are baptized. But that is not the order we see here. Why? This is a unique situation. It was God who said, I want to make it clear that what is going on in Samaria is exactly what was going on there in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. And so he allows some of the apostles, Peter and John, the two heavy hitters, to come on down to Samaria as if to endorse this, to say yes this is one church comprised of different cultures. There is one gospel, but it has appealed to all sorts of people groups. The church has one gospel that is available to all the people. Now, if you're familiar with John and, and Peter, you know that this is a work of God in their life. At one time, John wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. Now he embraces them as family. We see that in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 and 56. Peter, he was granted the honor of opening the door of the gospel to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and to the Gentiles. We see in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, where Jesus says to Peter, I have given you the keys. And so it is Peter who gets to open the door, we see in Acts chapter 2, to the Jews. They receive the gospel. Here in Acts chapter 8, it is Peter who is opening the door to the Samaritans. And then in Acts chapter 10, it will be Peter who gets to open the door to the Gentiles. So this gospel is one message, yes. The same message that we declare here in Green Bay is the same message we were declaring on the other side of the world there in Senegal. But it is for all the peoples. And then fourthly and finally, those who sincerely seek truth will find it. Look with me here at the last part of Acts chapter 8 where we hear about God working in a man's life. Let's look at verse 26 and following. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now remember, Philip had just been with the crowds of people. He would lead the crowds of people that were responding to the gospel to go after one man. He says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit of the Lord said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Now notice what Philip's response is when the Spirit of the Lord speaks to him. Look with me at verse 30. So Philip ran. He ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Now it's a passage from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, before its shearers it's silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. It is speaking about this substitutionary sacrifice. This is a main theme throughout all of the scriptures that men and women sin. And as a result, God's holiness, he judges man for his sin. And sometimes in his grace and in his love, he puts that judgment on something else, a lamb, a goat, and it is transferred from a sinful man and woman on to an animal. But all of that was paving the way that Jesus would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. So as this Ethiopian eunuch is genuinely seeking after truth, he's got the word of God on his lap. And here comes the evangelist, Philip. He says, I I would be delighted to share with you what that passage of scripture means. Look with me at verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing through the word of Christ. And so Philip uses the word of God and points to him that Jesus is the one who is a substitutionary sacrifice for his soul. And verse 36 says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized. It is assumed here that somewhere along that ride that this eunuch prayed to receive Christ, trusted Christ, repented of his sins, and now he is a new creature. And as they are driving after that experience, then he gets baptized. And it says here in verse 38, And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down in the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Exodus, and he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Those who sincerely seek truth will find it. Just Wednesday night, Just a few days ago, we were flying from Chicago to Green Bay after this long flight returning from Senegal. And Jim and I were in the back of the plane, the 16th row of 17 rows, I think. And because there were some empty seats in front of this plane, the stewardess says, we need to move some of you from the back and we need to move you up to the front. So she tapped me on the shoulder and says, will you go to row number seven? And she tapped Jim on the shoulder. Will you go to row number 10? And as I went up to row 7, there was a young man sitting off to my side. And we just began to enter into a conversation. And I found out that he'd been experiencing some troubles in his life. He was just out east and he was on vacation with his family. And just decided, I, I just need to get back to Green Bay. And as we talked, and I would drop in the word of the Lord on occasion, he stopped and he said, are you a pastor? And I said, as a matter of fact, I am. And he said, I've been expecting you. I, I just knew that the Lord was going to send someone in my path to tell me what I should do. And so I had an opportunity to say, I know what the next step of your life is. It is to trust Jesus to save you from your sins so I had the privilege of being able to share the gospel with him and just urged him to repent and to believe in Jesus. I actually referred to the Ethiopian eunuch at that moment. And he says, you're not going to believe this. My best friend is an Ethiopian. <laughs> That's a true story from just a few nights ago. And by the way, while I'm sharing that story with this young man over here, you're probably not going to be surprised that over my right shoulder, just a few few rows away, there is your, your Jim Van Geen here from our church and he is sharing the same gospel message with the person that he is seated next to as well. So there are times where there are people that are sincerely seeking the truth and God in his kindness allows us to meet them and be able to share the gospel with them like Philip did here to the Ethiopian eunuch. And then there's one other thing That I'd like to share and that is the gospel is to be shared as we come and go if you look with me at verse 25 you remember that Peter and John they had went to Samaria for a particular task they wanted to authenticate that what was going on there was really gospel work but listen to what it says here in verse 25 now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So while they were going, we might as well just share the gospel. We're going to be encountering people here. And you'll see that Philip does exactly the same thing in the last verse of Acts chapter 8, verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Hey, I might be on my way to Caesarea, but I'm going to be bumping into people. So while I'm bumping into people, I might as well share the gospel with them. While we were flying from Istanbul, Turkey to Chicago, I sat next to an architect from Denver and I said, Listen, Tom, I've traveled 6,000 miles to share the gospel over here in Senegal. If you wouldn't mind, I'd like to share the gospel with you. You're three inches away. So there are opportunities for us. Let us share the gospel. Here's a summary. While there was a new normal going on there in the church of Acts, things were going on that had not gone on before. They were experiencing persecution. There was one thing that hasn't changed, the good news. And they are to continue to share the good news. Now, I'm no expert. But I I listen to people like Ray Comfort, an evangelist, and says, during this time of the coronavirus, people seem to be more responsive to hearing the truth. Well, May we share it with them. There's a leader within our own denomination named Ronnie Floyd that has said the same thing. Church family, as we go through this time, may we be open to opportunities that the Lord may give us. Now, we might not be among crowds, But there still could be some innovative ways that we share the gospel. Recently, I came across an article on a Gospel Coalition website. Maybe you want to Google this. It's called A Practical Way to Love Your Neighbor, Your Self-Isolated Neighbor. Let me read that again. A Practical Way to Love Your Self-Isolated Neighbor by Elijah Elkins. He actually has an idea. And and this little handout is right there in the article where you can create something like this, where it says, are you self-isolating? Can I help? My name is this, this is my phone number. I live here at this address. Is there any way I can help you? Can I pick up something for you? Can I I offer you a phone call? Is there something I can pray for you about? Is there mail that I can gather for you or, or take to the mailbox for you? Are there urgent supplies that I can get? It might be that not everyone in our church could do something like this, but there could be some that it might be a good fit for. Well, it's a privilege to be able to gather with you. And in your outline, you'll also see some discussion questions. And I just encourage you to take some time now and work through these questions. I'm also going to release a video It's just kind of a family video of our Senegal trip, and while our family's been quarantined ourselves, we've tried to make the most of it. So my oldest son and my wife, Melody, have kind of collaborated on making this short little video of our experience there in Senegal. Let me pray with you, and thank you for joining me today for this lesson, this sermon here on Acts chapter 8. Father, I thank you for this privilege of sharing your word, and I pray that as the word goes out, that would bring encouragement to the church family. And Lord, I pray that the gospel would continue to flourish in this time. In Acts chapter eight, there was a new normal that is established. And at this time, there's a new normal that we're getting used to. But despite this, we know that we wanna be about sharing the truth. So may that truth be in our lives and may we be willing to continue to share it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. And may the Lord bless you.